previously on Saturday Morning Snicktoons. I broke down the doomed pilot Pride of the X-Men, the first attempt at an X-Men animated series. So go check it out. Lots of fun rewatching that episode and then breaking it down. And I kind of get into my foundational love of X-Men. And so today we continue on to X-Men, the animated series, season one, episode one, Night of the Sentinels, part one. So X-Men the Animated Series is quite possibly the largest foundational piece of my X-Men fanaticism. This cartoon debuted at just the right time. I was making the transition from little kid to big kid. I was seven and a half years old. I was moving out of my obsession with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I was looking for something a little bit more grown-up, a little bit more action-packed. And this show hit at exactly the right time. Oddly enough, this episode and its second part, episode 9 of the Sentinels Part 2, actually debuted on television on Saturday, October 31st, 1992, in one of the prime time spots. The show originally was supposed to premiere in September of 1992, but because of production delays, it was actually postponed and moved back to a January 1993 premiere, but head of Fox Kids, Margaret Lesh, was able to get a sneak peek set up, so the first two episodes, the first part, or excuse me, the first two parts of this whole series were completed and they were able to work it into a sneak peek. Now, that was Halloween. So, as a seven and a half year old on Halloween night, I was out trick-or-treating. I was probably dressed as a pirate because I think pirate was like my go-to costume if I couldn't find like my Ninja Turtles costume. Anyway, I was out trick-or-treating, but I remember my dad taped this and the second part on to a VHS tape for me, and I was able to watch it the very next day, November 1st, 1993, or excuse me, 1992. So I was over the moon at how excellent this show was, and no offense to Pride of the X-Men, but how much better, how much more exciting this new X-Men show was. Funnily enough, also on October 31st, 1992, on Fox, on primetime, they also showed the premiere episode of Batman the Animated Series. And I had no idea, until I was older, that that show even came out on the same day. I had no idea. Same day, same network, both at primetime, so one probably played right before the other, and I have no idea which, but I always found that to be super interesting, because I probably had more awareness of Batman going into Halloween than I did of X-Men. Yeah, I knew about 
Fight of the X-Men. I had some of the Toy Biz toys that had come out in 91, 92, and I had some Marvel trading cards with the X-Men on it. But in 1992, we had, what, two Batman movies? We had Batman 89 and then Batman Returns in 92, and I don't remember when in the year Batman Returns came out, but I remember the marketing campaign. I mean, Batman was everywhere. And the fact that I was looking forward to, and I was super excited to watch X-Men, the animated series that I didn't even know that Batman debuted at the same time until much, much later when as a teenager, I got into DC and Batman. The first thing that I remember about the X-Men cartoon, and everyone probably can relate a story just like this one, it was the theme song. The opening theme song for X-Men, the animated series, with its introductions to each and every one of the members of the team, and just that, like, just super upbeat, awesome bass line, and rock music style to this opening i mean it was unlike anything that we had in a cartoon up to that point you know most cartoons had like the cheesy opening music or the really corny opening songs with the exception being teenage mutant ninja turtles of course but all these cartoons from the 80s and stuff they just had like these cheesy openings and everything and x-men the animated series was so different and this opening sequence almost wasn't the same opening sequence that we all know and love. The one that we love, the one that we've seen on all these episodes, wasn't even their first attempt at creating an opening sequence. In fact, their first few attempts actually included narration. And at the time, Stan Lee was not necessarily heavily involved, but he was part of the creation of this show. He did have some creative input, very early on in the stages of the show. And one of the things that Stan Lee pushed for was to have an opening narration. Now, if you think back to Pride of the X-Men, they did a voiceover narration with Stan the Man introducing mutants and the mutant problem or the mutant crisis, and then a little bit about evil mutants and what the X-Men stood for. And the first few attempts for this show were very much the same. Finally, they were able to convince their producers and whoever else that uh, opening narration was not a good idea. That they could do an animated narration with a great song that would introduce the characters and introduce everything that they needed to. And eventually that is how they were able to go. They even went so far as to find a very talented musician named Ron Wasserman, who some fans in my age group will also know as the composer of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers theme song. I strongly recommend checking out the book previously on X-Men, The Making of an Animated Series by Eric Leewald, the showrunner of the series. Uh, he goes into great detail about the various attempts that were made, including the word-for-word uh, breakdown of his original written narration and he has some interviews there with cast and crew and he even interviews ron wasserman himself regarding how the opening title sequences finally came to be what we all know and love and if that's not enough then i would recommend checking out x-men the art and making of the animated series by eric and julia leewald and in this book they actually give us 
a shot-by-shot recreation of the opening sequence, as well as rough storyboards for uh, the original animated sequence. So definitely go check that out. Super worth your time. Of course, we all know and love the final version of the opening sequence, which starts off in space. We zoom in. There's a ship flying by. It's the Blackbird. We zoom in through the windshield to see various X-Men standing inside. Eventually it pans back out. We have the words X-Men flash across the screen where we have Storm and Rogue flying around. And then from there we cut into all the introductions of each individual character. And then once each of the X-Men have been introduced, we are then given some story scenes, not necessarily from any particular episodes, but just some story scenes of the X-Men fighting Sentinels and fighting against Magneto. And then ultimately, at the very end, the two teams led by the two nemeses, Professor X and Magneto, kind of running towards each other in one final clash. We all know and love that opening sequence. And I think from there, we can jump into the episode breakdown. We open on a news report relating an incident of mutant violence and hear about growing anti-mutant hysteria. The report shares footage of this violent mutant encounter. Who is this violent mutant? Well, comics fans will recognize him as none other than Sabretooth. The camera pans out and we are in a nice suburban living room. Two adults were watching the news and segue into a conversation about their own teenage daughter being a mutant. A little exposition setting up the mutant control agency and the idea of mutant registration is given, and we then follow the camera upstairs to see Jubilee, the aforementioned teenage daughter, listening in to her parents' conversation. Upset, she kind of falls to the floor and laments the fact that she is becoming a mutant and why is this happening to her and what should do, what did she do wrong? The camera then pans across to her bedroom and then takes us outside where up in the sky we see not a bird, not a plane, not even a superman. Instead, we see a lone sentinel, a large humanoid robot fast approaching. And I have to say that I love the inconsistencies in the size of the Sentinels throughout this entire series, especially in this first episode and even in part two. It seems like, and it's probably unintentional, but it seems like every time we are supposed to see the Sentinels as if they are these evil hulking robots, they're like 10 stories tall, you know, like taller than a shopping mall, just gigantic, as tall as a skyscraper. And other times when we're supposed to see them as comic relief or easily disposable villains, then they're maybe only the size of a two-story home. So I just love how inconsistent the scale is for the Sentinels. But I also love the design. Just classic comic look come to life. After a not-too-graceful landing, the Sentinel makes its way destructfully 
I don't even think that's a real word. Destructfully? Uh, whatever. It, <laughs> it sums up exactly what the Sentinels do. They make their way, well, it makes its way destructfully to Jubilee's house. It finds a bedroom window and it peeps through, seeing, I guess, someone in a bed. It appears that uh, whoever is in this bed is asleep, and so the Sentinel just reaches right through the wall of the house to grab the bed. It scans the bed and realizes that the bed is empty, and so it leaves. Of course, the sound of a big giant robotic hand crashing through the wall of a house is enough to distract Jubilee's parents, who are still carrying on their conversation downstairs. Jubilee's mother comes to her bedroom door, opens it, and sees a giant gaping hole in the wall, and lets out a blood-curdling scream. So that whole thing from opening sequence until the robot crashing through, that was two minutes of screen time. And so far we have like all the exposition we need to understand exactly what's going on in this world. There's a group of people who are different from normal humans and they are called mutants. And some of these mutants, like the one we saw on TV, are very bad. And some of the mutants, like a teenage girl named Jubilee, is not a bad person at all. However, normal humans are afraid of mutants. But they're not just afraid of the bad ones, they're also afraid of the good ones. Because the good ones are still different. I love how we get just this very quick clarification and already we know exactly what's going on. Oh, and also that there's these big giant robots that are tracking mutants down. So we already have the basic conflicts that everything in this, not just season, but this series are based upon. The whole purpose of X-Men summed up in two minutes of exposition sandwiched by a little bit of action. It's very, very well done. Like there's a reason why this show is so popular even still to today. It's and it's because the storytelling is so excellent. But I'm starting to get off track. Let's jump back to the episode. We are then taken to a shopping mall. Inside the shopping mall is an arcade and who is at the arcade but, of course, the teenager, Jubilee. We see that, uh, I guess she ran away from home and does what all teenagers do. She went to the mall and decided to hit up the arcade. Unfortunately for her, the Sentinel is not too far behind. We flash back to Jubilee and, unfortunately, inadvertently, she destroys the arcade cabinet that she's playing and is then confronted by the arcade manager. We see a little bit more of this anti-mutant bigotry up close and personal where he accuses her of being a mutant. She runs away and then he kind of chases her at least to the doorway of the arcade and says, we don't want you lousy mutants around here. So as Jubilee makes her escape from this arcade, it's a perfect time to introduce us to a few of the mutants. Jubilee is running around the corner and runs right into two women who are shopping and knocks them down. We then see into a game store or a card store a man in a long brown trench coat <laughs> wearing, you know, normal human clothes, a, a bright pink suit of armor, um, and, you know, a head sock and everything. Doesn't look suspicious 
whatsoever. And we eventually will learn that these three characters are none other than Storm, Rogue, and Gambit. So the Sentinel itself now has also entered the mall by just walking through a big glass wall, and ironically itself causes more hysteria than the presence of the mutants do later on. The Sentinel quickly locates Jubilee and captures her, gaining the attention of Storm and Rogue, who quickly leap to action to take on the Sentinel. Gambit, as well, is soon alerted to the presence of the Sentinel and joins the fray when Rogue and Storm are thrown out of the mall. By the Sentinel, not by mall security. Rogue and Storm both can fly. Well, Storm can use the wind to make herself fly. And they start fighting the Sentinel, but eventually the Sentinel hits back and hits them each with like a laser that knocks them through a skylight. Jubilee begins to run away, and the Sentinel blows out the path that she's running on. She falls through the ground, and uh, Gambit is there on like the main floor, and he catches her. So he joins the fray as well, even throws up some charged-up explosive playing cards at the Sentinel. So unfortunately, the Sentinel makes short work of Gambit, but it's enough for Jubilee to escape to the parking lot, where she runs into Cyclops, but not before the Sentinel hits her with some knockout gas. The Sentinel then tries to shoot a blast at Cyclops and misses slightly. Cyclops retorts, Energy blast, huh? Here's one from a pro, and in one optic blast manages to behead the Sentinel. So, I just love this sequence. You know, we're introduced to half of the X-Men team. We get to see two awesome dudes and two awesome women just beating the living crud out of this giant robot. And at the end of the battle, Cyclops, the leader of the X-Men, is able to take out this Sentinel with just one blast and knocks its head off. Really great stuff. A lot of fun quotes in here. Gambit with his Cajun drawl that he has. Um, Rogue very much has her, I wouldn't say Southern Belle, but definitely a Southern Sweetheart accent. We have Storm, who despite the fact has all the opportunities to be as mundane as possible, decides to be overly dramatic and regal. I mean, like, the characterizations are so perfect. When Jubilee runs up to Cyclops, all he says is, get down, and then releases his blast. I mean, Brief introductions to each of these X-Men, and already they are exactly as we would expect them to be if we were reading X-Men comics. They just nailed it across the board. Uh, we have Rogue saying things like, what bug crawled up her shorts, and all kinds of stuff. You know, in response to Jubilee's attitude towards them after <laughs> Jubilee runs into them and knocks them down. So we are then taken to a new location the Xavier Mansion, where inside, a wounded Jubilee wakes up. Not knowing where she is, she decides to explore her new surroundings. She breaks out of the infirmary and makes her way through this strange new place. Walking down this weird hallway, she cracks open the first door that she sees, and inside is a laboratory with a very peculiar scientist inside. Our first glimpse of the bouncing blue beast. Continuing further, she next comes across a rec room where a mutant is enjoying some late-night channel surfing. After each channel change, the mutant then morphs 
or changes into someone from the TV, until finally a commercial for an upcoming news program featuring Jubilee herself comes on. When the mutant morphs into a Jubilee lookalike, the real one takes off. Next, she comes across a new room that appears to be a monitor station. Several screens in the room are showing footage of various mutants. And I love this part because we get all these little cameos. We see Domino, we see Cannonball, we see an ad for Genosha, we see The Tooth, and then Magneto. Lastly, we see an interview with Senator Kelly, a leading anti-mutant politician, and that convinces Jubes to keep moving. As she leaves the room, two new characters enter on the opposite side. Xavier and Jean enter as Jubilee makes her way deeper into the mansion. Jean notices that the monitors that were on are all now switched off, and Xavier senses Jubilee is loose, and he raises the intruder alert. Jubilee, hearing the alarm and some approaching X-Men, seeks to hide in the only remaining door. Unfortunately for her, it's the Danger Room, and she has interrupted a training sequence between Gambit and the last X-Men to be introduced, Wolverine. Well, save the best for last, they say. Wolverine naturally gets the drop on Gambit, but Jubilee blasts him with her mutant power, fireworks that blast out from her fingertips. Storm, Beast, and Morph arrive, and Beast exposits the Danger Room to Jubilee for us, and Storm takes Jubes up to the roof to exposit further on who the X-Men are. Now that we know who and what everyone is, just over halfway through, we get our act break. The second act here begins with Xavier briefing the team on their upcoming mission. He had completed work on the Sentinel head from earlier and learned the Sentinels are part of the Mutant Control Agency and are hunting down registered mutants. It seems someone at the agency has a hidden agenda. The scene changes, and we meet a creepy government type in the former home of Jubilee, talking with her parents. It seems this mystery person with the mystery hidden agenda has now been revealed. Meanwhile, Jubilee herself decides to check on her parents, and as she approaches her old home, is apprehended by a pair of sentinels at the behest of the evil-suited man. Back at the mansion, the mission briefing concludes. Xavier is sending a team led by Storm with Wolverine, Beast, and Morph to infiltrate the agency headquarters and destroy the registration files. Another team led by Cyclops with Rogue and Gambit to be available to assist. After the briefing, we get to see our very first glimpse of the friction between our favorite Claude Knucklehead and the one-eyed wet blanket Cyclops. Just kidding. I actually love Cyclops in this show, although they do portray him as a wet blanket almost always. Like every chance they get where someone is having a fun idea or just wants to do something that's not training, Cyclops is there to rain on their parade. Uh, but I love this little moment. Gene quickly interrupts them that Jubilee is gone. And so Wolverine says, I'll go after her. Cyclops is like, heck no, man, we got stuff to do. And of course, Wolverine angrily turns around, flashes his claws right in Cyclops' face, and says, I go 
where I want to go. Which, I just love that line. So the X-Men sans Wolverine arrive via Blackbird to Agency HQ and enter mission mode. Which isn't really actually mission mode, it's just the Blackbird lands, the door opens, and Cyclops starts barking orders, you know, Ro, get out there and do recon, blah blah blah. But then they're just walking through the woods towards the headquarters. So it's actually just some exposition time. We hear backstories for Rogue, Beast, even Morph a little bit as they make their way to the headquarters perimeter. When they arrive and begin to formulate their plan of infiltration, Wolverine makes his presence known. He was hiding up in a tree awaiting their arrival. Unfortunately, he was unsuccessful finding Jubilee and along the way got bit by a dog too. The team, now complete, Cyclops lets Storm know it's time to lead her group on their infiltration mission. Firstly, she summons a little cloud cover, and then Beast, Morph, and Wolverine scale the fence. A few minor hiccups later, and Wolverine has sliced open the door, and the team is able to enter via side entrance. Beast goes on ahead to shut down the base's security measures with a quip from a minor poet, of course. Outside, Cyclops' team spies reinforcements on their way, while inside, Storm is about to open a door with a troop of armed security on the other side. Then, black, as part one ends. So that is the first episode. Technically, the first episode is really just a two-part episode, uh, but I don't want to cover Night of the Sentinels Part 2 until our next episode. Going forward, what I want to do is, in addition to the episode breakdowns, is kind of highlight members of the various cast and crew uh, who made this show possible. So one day talking about the cast, the next day talking about the producers, talking about storyboard artists, etc. Um, and so because this is the first episode of this show, I figured that uh, we can actually jump into the cast today. So one fun fact about the cast of this show is that it is not the first original cast for this series. They actually went through about two or three different groups of cast members. And then even once they had the final cast, it actually took a few takes before they really were able to find the voices for each of these characters. Apparently, some of the earlier recordings actually played off the drama and the danger as silly. So, that being said, the final cast for this series is as follows. As Wolverine, we have Irish-born, Toronto-based jazz singer Cal Dodd. For Rogue, we have current Nova Scotian Member of Parliament Lenore Zan. As Cyclops, we have the late and great Norm Spencer. For Jean Grey, we have Catherine Disher. For Beast, we have George Booza. For Storm, we have Allison Seeley Smith. Gambit is played by Chris Potter. Jubilee is played by Allison Court. Morph is played by Ron Rubin. And Professor Charles Xavier, we have Cedric Smith. And as further characters are introduced, then we can go over the casting for those characters at that time. But the main cast, the X-Men, appear in this very first episode, and so I wanted to mention 
all of these wonderful actors and actresses. Those of us who watched this show on Saturday mornings will probably also remember another Saturday morning cartoon from this same time period, uh, and that was Beetlejuice. So the voice of Jubilee in the show, Allison Court, is also the actress who played the voice of Lydia in the Beetlejuice cartoon, so that is pretty fun. <laughs> um, I believe at the time of recording, I'm not sure if they still are, but the voice actors for Xavier and Jean Grey were married. That is Cedric Smith and Catherine Disher. So that's another fun fact um, and kind of alludes to the fact that in the comic books, uh, creepily though, Professor Xavier did confess his love for Jean on a few <laughs> different occasions. Uh, so that was a little weird, but uh, learning that the voice actors for those characters were married in real life is just kind of like a fun, you know, unknown little nod to uh, the comic storyline. And as far as Storm goes, they actually had uh, two different actors voice Storm before they finally landed on Allison Seeley Smith. Uh, the very first actor who portrayed Storm was actually a white actress. And so uh, in order to avoid any kind of political entanglements, they decided to recast with an African or at least an African-American or African-Canadian actress. Uh, they tried out another one who uh, it didn't quite work out because I believe that the fill-in actress was actually a member of the American Union and so would have the right to various royalties. And so eventually they had to cast a third actress to play Storm and they landed on Allison Seeley Smith and she was awesome. She did such an amazing job with Storm in all of her regality. I don't even know if that's a word. I'm just making up words left and right this episode. So that is episode one of X-Men the Animated Series, and that is our core cast. So I don't really have much else to say. I love this series, and the whole entire tone for it starts with this first part of this two-part episode. I can't wait till next week when we get into Night of the Sentinels Part 2, and we get to see some really excellent action and uh, even some tragedy. So make sure you guys come back next week for that. So if you like the show and you want to keep the conversation going, you can find me on Instagram at TalkinSnicked or reach out to me via email TalkSnicked at gmail.com. Make sure you visit the musician Retcon X and check out his X-Men inspired original music and stay tuned to the end to listen to an exclusive track called Back from the Dead. Until next time, bubs. Bye.